Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'm coming to you today with a special Olympic debrief with Aussie long jumper Brooke Stratton. I virtually caught up with Brooke earlier in the week while she was in hotel quarantine after competing at the Tokyo Olympics. Brookie was kind enough to let me ask some interesting questions and gave us a behind the scenes look at what it was like to be at an Olympics that will surely be in the history books. If Brooke's name sounds familiar, it's because it's her second appearance on the podcast. So if you don't know her story and the incredible resilience she's shown over the years, you can scroll on back to season one, episode six. I'd just like to take this moment to thank everyone who tunes in weekly to these episodes. This week I heard that over the last 18 months, Melbourne has been in lockdowns, the second longest in the entire world. And with my work being unable to open for so many months, this podcast has given me such a big purpose and frankly, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. With that being said, the best way you can support this podcast is to hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening from. If you are feeling extra generous, then sending it to a friend or family member or leaving a review would make my day. If you aren't already following us on Instagram, you are missing out on a lot of exclusive content, including some sneak peeks as to who's coming up next. That's enough for me. Let's hear from Brooke. Like in the months before Brookie, you were in and out of lockdowns, obviously from Melbourne. What was it like knowing that, you know, there was training camps up in Queensland and then in Cairns, was it Townsville as well? And that you might, you might not have been able to go to them. Like, was that a bit stressful? Yeah, it was very stressful actually, because as well as not knowing what my travel movements were going to look like, I also was injured. So I had um, ITB friction syndrome in my knee. So basically I was getting like a real sharp sort of stabbing pain at the side of my knee when I was jogging and decelerating in training. And I was also feeling it walking and um, just doing sort of, you know, most everyday activities. So um, yeah, that was a real stressful time sort of in the lead into Tokyo because, you know, we were in a lockdown in Melbourne which meant that, you know, because I was injured as well, I had a couple of cortisone injections into my knee and local pools weren't open. So Mm -hmm. I had to travel into the Victorian Institute of Sport just to swim. Um, And then once local outdoor pools were open, um, I was going and swimming in outdoor pools in the middle of winter, (laughs) which was really hard to get motivated for because I'm not much of a swimmer and putting me in a, an outdoor pool in the middle of winter is not something that I enjoy but it all worked out okay in the end Melbourne got on top of the COVID cases pretty quickly so even though I wasn't able to travel up to Queensland um, to do a couple of meets on the Gold Coast and a meet in Townsville that I had planned 
which I wouldn't have been able to do anyway because I was injured. I was just more so stressed about getting up to our training camp, which was, you know, a couple of weeks prior to heading off to Tokyo. So um, I managed to get up there and um, everything worked out okay in the end. I just didn't quite have the amount of competitions that I would have liked before I headed over to Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of Melbourne athletes probably felt that quite a bit and I guess the I guess you're lucky compared to the Sydney siders who couldn't even get up to Cairns at all yeah yeah I felt really uh really sorry for those athletes because I know a number of them were really looking forward to competing and just sort of shaking out any of those cobwebs that they may have needed to shake out before they got onto the big stage in Tokyo and um not only that like they were restricted with radiuses and lockdowns and um, you know, all those restrictions that come with it. So, yeah, I feel like I I didn't suffer quite as much as some of those other athletes. But, you know, it, it's all about being able to adapt to the situation that is thrown at you. And um, I'm sure a lot of those athletes were able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And did you find, because Tokyo was quite warm, did you find being up in Cairns and getting that experience kind of helped a little bit especially coming from the Melbourne winter like it's a completely different temperature yeah oh a hundred percent um as soon as I got up to Cairns like I was honestly struggling so much like I was I really feel like I I feel the heat quite a lot Mm -hmm. just in general like I love hot weather I love you know training and competing in hot weather but I think when you're coming out of Melbourne winter and like really cold weather and then being put in you know 26 27 28 even degree heat and humidity it's yeah it's a really big shock to the system and it took me actually quite it took me I reckon almost the two weeks or three weeks that I was there to actually like get used to the the temperature and the heat and the humidity um so yeah I feel like if I didn't have that exposure to those hot environments before I went over to Tokyo I really would have struggled because in Tokyo um yeah the heat was just next level like the temperature wasn't extremely hot but it was the humidity that made it like almost unbearable my competition shorts that I competed in were like a light green color but you know after literally just doing a warm-up jog they were dark green like that like the amount of sweat was just crazy not super flattering but yeah it was it was so good being able to go up to Cairns and get some exposure to that warm weather I think it really did make a difference yeah well we didn't notice on the tv that your shorts were supposed to be light green they looked great dark green (laughs) Yeah, well, I think um, my, yeah, the whole area of my shorts had just changed colour, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. it a bit funny, like, having to watch that opening ceremony from Cairns? Like, how did that feel getting, I guess you got to be with majority of the athletics team, but how did it feel not being in the country that the Olympics was in? Yeah, it was a, it was quite a weird feeling to be honest, but I guess we actually missed the opening ceremony for the Rio Olympics because we were in our team camp in Florida. So, I've actually never experienced an opening ceremony at an Olympic Games, oh. which quite quite sad to be completely honest um I think in Rio it was because there wasn't enough space in the village for the track and field team because there mustn't have been enough room so we had to wait for the swimmers to finish 
<laughs> and move out before we could all move in. So that, yeah, as a consequence of that, we missed the opening ceremony, which I feel like is, you know, one of the most exciting parts and aspects of an Olympic Games and a major championship. So, yeah, it was definitely a little bit upset, upsetting not being there and being able to experience that. But it was really good actually being in Cairns with majority of the Australian team and being able to get together, put our opening ceremony uniforms on and be able to sort of, you know, somewhat feel like we were kind of doing something for it at least and celebrating that. But um, yeah, hopefully if I make Paris 2024, I might be able to attend that one. (laughs) Fingers crossed. We need a vote for Brookie to be flag bearer. So then she can be at the opening ceremony, whether the swimmers are there or not. (laughs) Yeah, that that would be a massive honour, but I'm sure there's probably more deserving athletes than that, but (laughs) we'll wait and see. We'll start your campaign now, Brooke. We've got three years. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) So what were the COVID protocols like? Were they really intense? And do you reckon they kind of affected your lead up or your prep when you were in Tokyo, if that makes sense? Like, did they throw you off at all? Not really, to be honest. You know, there were so many unknowns before we left for Tokyo. There were, there was so much talk of being stuck in our rooms unless we were training or competing or going to the food hall to eat. So I literally just assumed that I was going to be stuck in my room the whole time and not able to go anywhere, not able to move around. But it wasn't like that at all. Like we couldn't leave the village, obviously. Um, We were stuck in the village, but we could, yeah, we could do whatever we wanted. We had so much freedom. We could hang out with other athletes, not so much from other countries, but Aussie athletes Mm -hmm. there was a tv or a couple of tv screens downstairs where we could sit down and watch other athletes compete and just really you know try and soak up the experience and atmosphere within the Australian building but yeah like in terms of protocols um we had to get a COVID test every day so every morning we had to spit in a little tube for a saliva sample and then um drop it off to the team manager's room and then he would take it off to get tested every day. So that was something a little bit different (laughs) to what we would normally experience in the Olympic Games. And then, yeah, just obviously having to wear masks both indoor and outdoors at all times, even in the courtroom and walking out to our event, which I found extremely uncomfortable because of the hot weather. Mm. Like I would finish warming up, I would be so sweaty, and then having to wear a face mask as well, like I feel like it it really, oh, it just, it was just super uncomfortable, you know, not being able to breathe properly and being a bit restricted that way. But um, I wouldn't say it, it affected my performance in any way. But yeah, like there were obviously like so many different rules, but nothing that I didn't really expect. Um, leading into the games and I wouldn't say my preparation was impacted at all either oh that's good that's good because there's one thing I was really not worried about but I was like oh I wonder if all of these not so much restrictions but things that had to be put in place to keep you guys all healthy and well would impact you guys and the, the way you went about it but if it was only like minor inconveniences then it's probably worth it to get the games to go ahead 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, little rules and regulations like that, you've just got to cop it on the chin because at the end of the day, like we were given the opportunity to be able to compete in the Olympic Games during a global pandemic. So, you know, we've just got to be grateful for that. And I was just trying to do everything I possibly could to not contract COVID while <laughs> I was over there because there was cases in the village and I knew that, you know, if I wasn't hygienic and using my hand sanitizer every four seconds that there was probably more of a, a chance of um you know contracting COVID so yeah like just grateful for the opportunity really. Yeah speaking of the fact that there was cases in the village I know the AS team had a bit of a scare and you guys had to like isolate in your rooms for was it just a few hours in the end? Yeah, I think it might have been three or four hours in the end, but that was so stressful. Like, I remember, I think I was just like in our apartment. So basically like, you know, we stayed in what was basically like an apartment with um, most apartments had either three or four rooms. So I was just in the apartment. I remember receiving a text message from the Athletics Australia team manager saying, basically like, go to your rooms until further notice and wear a mask and I was like oh my god like don't tell me someone has tested positive to COVID and you know the whole Australian building is could potentially have it as well yeah um so yeah and like there was no follow-up message for like at least a couple of hours and I had no idea what was happening. Like everyone was just like super stressed about the whole situation. And then we found out that one of the, or a couple, I think maybe like several Australian pole vault athletes had been in, or had been deemed a close contact to an American pole vaulter that tested positive. So thankfully none of them actually contracted COVID. They were sent to a, another hotel and they were removed from the village, which I felt extremely sad for them, mm. you know, being removed from the village and being placed in a hotel room by themselves and being very limited with what they could do. But yeah, like no one ended up testing positive to COVID, I think, you know, in the whole Australian team. So yeah, so that was very lucky. But yeah, that was definitely probably one of the worst experiences being over there and receiving that message and just not knowing what was going on. Yeah, because it was only a few days before you were due to compete as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it, yeah, it may have been a few days prior to my competition. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not great timing. <laughs> no. Well, te terrifying. At least it wasn't the day of your competition. That would have been worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think the athletics had actually started at this point in time. So it must have been maybe the day before the first track and field day so that was lucky actually yeah very very lucky and in saying that with Tokyo it was your second Olympics which is amazing and it's you know an achievement that not all Australian Olympians get to experience so that in itself is incredible but what was the vibe of the village like compared to Rio yeah it was a little bit different just in terms of being able to interact with other countries and other athletes. I feel like we were pretty restricted with how much we could move around. And the vibes in the Australian building though were incredible. So every 
every day they would have the TV set up downstairs. Heaps of athletes would just surround the TVs and watch other athletes compete. So there was so much encouragement. Uh, there was always, you know, loud cheering and screaming, which made made it feel more like a games than what it probably would have if we didn't have that set up. But yeah, there were so many differences, obviously, with Tokyo and Rio. But I think, yeah, our biggest concern was just, you know, contracting COVID and not being able to compete. So everyone just tried to do the right thing. And, you know, we really got around the Australian team and just tried to really create our own little bubble in the Australian building, which, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, I love that. And I love that it's, you know, such, such an Aussie thing to do is kind of like, stick together band together and support our fellow Australians so that's really awesome that we probably would have been the Australian Olympic Committee set that environment up for you guys to be able to do that yeah yeah we were honestly looked after so well and yeah there was obviously so much time and effort put into the setup and yeah the building was just incredible like they had yeah, so many things set up for us that other countries wouldn't have had just to allow us to feel comfortable being there as much as we could. So we didn't have to, you know, like go to the dining hall for three meals a day. Like they had a grab and go snack bar. So that had so many different snacks. It had, you know, breakfast options. It had, you know, brown rice, tuna, salmon, like so many options of food that we could just eat downstairs in our Australian building rather than having to go all the way to the dining hall to eat and being surrounded by thousands of people. Yeah, it just really cut back the risk um, of exposure. And we also had a gym facility down in the basement of the building, which I don't think any other countries had a setup like that and recovery facilities as well. So yeah, we were very well looked after and it definitely allowed us to restrict our movement as much as we could. Yeah, I love that. And there was also a barista on site in the Australian building. And I know you like your coffee, Brookie. So how was that? (laughs) How could I forget? (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely up there with one of the highlights, having a barista in the Australian building. Um, But yeah, that was honestly fantastic. So every morning I'd just wander down, get my morning coffee and off I go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can thank him for, was it a him? It was a him. He was there every day, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, every day. day. I think they worked harder than bloody most of us athletes. (laughs) Do they get a gold medal? (laughs) They're very deserving of one, so I hope they did. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) So with it being your second Olympics, I've heard a few athletes say they kind of want to enjoy their second Olympics a bit more because they know what's coming. But this was kind of a different Olympics because of it was in the middle of a global pandemic. Did you feel more or less pressure? Like, how did you feel going into it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, leading into Rio that season, I jumped my PB of seven metres and five centimetres. So I felt like I had very high expectations from the rest of Australia Mm -hmm. Um, but I also had them on myself as well because I knew that if I could jump that distance I'd more than likely win a medal so um, yeah heightened expectations in Rio and I guess as a consequence of that 
and being only my second, you know, senior championships, I was extremely nervous. Um, I, I really felt that pressure as well to perform. And I guess coming away, placing seventh in Rio, I, I couldn't be disappointed with that at all. Being my first Olympic Games, you know, I was five years younger than what I am now. So I definitely didn't have the same amount of experience. I wasn't as mature as an athlete either. So, yeah, so that was, like, I definitely felt a lot of pressure there. But in Tokyo, it was a different kind of, pressure that I felt and the expectations I had on myself I guess yeah I expected a lot from myself but also on the flip side I didn't have a very good preparation leading into the game so I didn't know what to expect either and I think because this season like I'd struggled so much with injuries yeah I'd had a, a, a jump of six meters 84 at the Australian Championships but I think a lot of people just expect those distances from me now. So, which I guess is a real shame because like when I jumped 684, it was, I think it was my fourth furthest jump ever. So for me, you know, I'd probably call myself a, a 670 consistent jumper. Um, so anything above 670 for me, I feel is quite decent mm -hmm. in terms of distance. So, yeah, so I think people just sort of expect those distances from me now and yeah I think Tokyo I I don't know I I was so nervous I tried to enjoy it as much as I could but I'm sure anyone watching from home could see how stressed I was out there because like I knew I hadn't done the training and I hadn't done the work like I'd spent a big chunk of this year cross training, swimming. I've had five cortisone injections. Like it ha hadn't been an easy path at all. I just hadn't had that consistency in my training. So I honestly didn't know what to expect. Hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, as a result of that, I was just really nervous, really stressed, more so in the qualifying round because like I really just wanted to make the final and like I jumped a distance of six meters, 60 and I was sitting 12th out of the 12 that they take through to the final with still a pretty big number of athletes still to jump that could potentially knock me out. So that was, that was not a very good position to be in. And I was shaking. I was, I had really bad anxiety, but I was just so thankful in the end for it to have worked out. And I got another chance um, two days later to be in the final and I really tried to enjoy that as much as I could but it also <laughs> it, it was also quite stressful as well because my first jump was a foul and then my second jump was I think 652 and that wasn't going to be enough for me to make the top eight which was kind of the next progression that I was aiming for and then I left it all down to my third jump to make the top eight and I thankfully was able to jump 683 which put me in a position to be in that top eight in the most competitive long jump final in Olympic history so for it to have taken a six yeah a 680 jump to have made the top eight like that's pretty crazy and pretty unheard of in an Olympic final but yeah I think after jumping that distance I was really able just to enjoy myself because you know that distance I definitely didn't expect to jump. The competitions leading into the Olympics, I was jumping like 650. 
and then I jumped 660 in qualifying and I kind of just thought that that was roundabouts where I was at at the time but I did think that if I could put a jump together I could go a little bit further and that's what I did so um, yeah I was satisfied with that and I guess relieved that I could walk away you know regardless of what my next three jumps were like walk away happy and be able to celebrate that performance and achievement with everyone back home when I'm out of (laughs) well fingers crossed that soon and throwing back to that moment when you qualified for the final so that 660 I was sitting I don't know a meter away from Nathan your fiance and your mum and I was filming their reactions and it was just really like you were nervous but we were nervous for you and (laughs) and you really did have us on the edge of the seat like you said when you did that and there was quite a few athletes left to go we were you know just going oh my god oh my god and each new athlete were like oh thank god like they didn't beat her jump or they didn't push her out at one stage until that last athlete jumped and I can't even remember what they jumped but I remember your sister Christy she yelled it out and that was the moment that I actually filmed and it's on the Instagram reels of us celebrating that you had made the final and there was tears and there was all the emotions and then we were like Brooke doesn't even know like does she know and they panned over to you on the tv and you you like someone must have told you and you were so surprised and like I think that was my favorite part is yes I was able to watch the reaction and we looked like we knew before you did and yeah just the surprise on your face and then they panned to your dad and he was like looking at the results like what (laughs) yeah well the crazy thing is like I thought I was sitting in 13 so like I just assumed that I hadn't made the final and then I remember walking down to my dad and the head coach at Athletics Australia and I think they were looking on the live results um and they told me that I was sitting 12th and I was like I was like, are you serious? Like, I swear I'm 13th. And they're like, no, you're 12th, you're in. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I just remember, like my hands were shaking like crazy. (laughs) Like, I don't think I've been so stressed in my life. So yeah, so once they told me I was in, like at first I was like, are they like, is this like legit? Like, is this a hundred percent? correct or are you just like fooling me but once it was all official I like I oh I just felt a weight off my shoulders yeah I could really just enjoy the moment and look forward to the final so it was a very big relief (laughs) yeah and it was they actually yeah did televise you say I'm shaking and showing how shaky you were and we're all like crying your mum had a cocktail in her hand (laughs) That'd be right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, what like what a moment. And then when we were able to speak to you on FaceTime so soon after that jump, like that was so special. How are you feeling? I guess having you were so lucky that your dad's your coach, having your dad there, but having everyone else at home, like how did that feel? Oh, it, it was it was hard. Like I'm so grateful for the amount of support that I have around me. And most major championships, like both my parents will be there, Nath will be there, my siblings and their partners have been able to travel and support me. Some of my friends have been able to support me as well. So like, I'm just so used to having people there at major championships to share that experience with. So it was really hard not having 
you know, everyone in the crowd there in person to, you know, share those emotions with. But I knew that everyone back home would have been able to watch it and celebrate with everyone that was there um, and enjoy that moment together. And like, I do remember like every time I hopped on the runway, I was just thinking about all you guys at home. And I just like, I just said to myself, I was like, you know, do it for everyone that can't be here Aww. because you know, I want to give them something to, to celebrate and be proud of. And the setup that you all had back home was, <laughs> was pretty cool. But yeah, I just like I had to call you all after I finished competing. Like I literally had just got my phone. I was like, I need to call everyone. I need to thank everyone for, you know, all the support back home because it just it meant so much. Like it was so special knowing that everyone back home was cheering and supporting and being on this journey with me. And I'm just so shattered because like I gave everyone a shout out in my channel seven post comp interview twice and none of them got aired oh (laughs) yeah so like I yeah I would have loved for you guys have you know been watching the tv and heard me say how much I appreciate you all being there for me and just making it such a special experience for me but anyway (laughs) we we knew Brookie we knew how much it meant to you and it was really special that we were you know out of that lockdown for you know literally the space of a week and a bit and we were able to watch both of your events together so that in itself like counting my lucky stars that you know that lockdown ended I know it sucks that we're back in one but well it meant that we all could watch together and that was something special yeah it was literally that one week of freedom (laughs) that my events were on (laughs) and then after my event finished back in lockdown (laughs) yeah literally yeah what a week (laughs) yeah so you mentioned before that it was the most competitive long jump final in the history like were you surprised considering we're in a like we're in the middle of a global pandemic and so many people's preparations have been interrupted Yeah, it has been actually surprising to see how well just as a whole, you know, track and field events have gone this year. There's been so many world records being broken and even just in terms of Australian athletes, I think there was like, I can't remember the exact amount, but there were so many Australian records broken this this year and like the year isn't even over yet. So yeah, I think like obviously most athletes just made the most of last year and although it was extremely tough for many athletes not being able to train as normal I think it might have just given everyone the opportunity to be able to just put in some consistent training that they wouldn't normally be able to do with competitions you know sort of around that mid-year period where you know you are putting in work but then you're tapering to compete you're freshening up so for me I found just being able to train all year long last year was a real benefit for me it's just a shame that my knee decided not to cooperate in December last year and has just been playing havoc on me for the last eight months but yeah it like it has been surprising seeing so many fantastic results and I definitely wouldn't have thought last year during the pandemic and during the lockdowns that the results would have gone the way they did this year there's just so many women at the moment just consistently jumping around 
you know, anywhere from sort of 680 to seven meters. So it, um, I think my distance that I jumped this year would have placed me fifth in Rio. So um, it definitely was a step up, which I didn't really expect, but I guess it just goes to show that track and field's moving in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And it was really awesome to be able to watch you pull out that it was 683. So yeah, that, yeah, you just fly through the air and it's really awesome. And I was saying how, like how good and strong you looked, especially like running down the runway. Like, yeah, you looked amazing jumping. Thanks V. Um, I didn't feel amazing to be honest. I just, yeah, I just felt like a bit all over the place to be honest. And I think that's just a, a combination of maybe nerves and not having quite done the training and had the preparation that I would have hoped for. But anyway, like, yeah, can't be disappointed with seventh in that distance. No, it was incredible. And you competed <laughs> on the Tuesday in the final and you came out seventh, which is incredible and something to be so proud of. What did you do after that, like before you had to fly out? Because the turnaround to fly out was very quick. Yeah, it was very quick. So I ended up flying out on the Thursday night. So it only really gave me two days, I suppose, to really try and lap up the atmosphere and the vibes in the village. And I was very lucky to have been able to go out to a few athletic sessions. So they had both a morning and an evening session. And I even went out the day that I competed. Um, so I competed in the morning session. I went out to the evening session and I literally couldn't stop yawning <laughs> the whole night. like I felt really bad I think it's because like yeah I had a bit of caffeine prior to my comp and um, obviously just the wave of emotions that I experienced as well just really tired me out but no it was it was great so yeah I pretty much just spent the remaining days just supporting other track and field athletes that was the only sport that we could go and watch so yeah just made the most of that opportunity and um yeah just spent a bit of time having a look around the village went to the souvenir shop did you get Winnie a top <laughs> I didn't get her a t-shirt but I got her a little soft toy that she'll probably destroy in five seconds <laughs> you got to get a picture before she destroys it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it won't it won't last long, that's for sure. <laughs> you only got to watch track and field. Was that like a rule that they had? You could only watch your own sport kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So our accreditation only allowed us to go to certain venues and for us track and field athletes it was only really the olympic stadium that we competed in so yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. Um not that I would have had a whole heap of time to go to many other sports but uh it would have been nice to have been able to you know experience watching other sports because there's so many incredible athletes in the Australian team from a range of different sports and it's not too often you get to watch these sports at an Olympic level so it definitely would have been incredible to see but hopefully Paris will be a different story yes fingers crossed for Paris to be a different yeah. story <laughs> and then you flew out and what was it like? Because we, were we with you that night, like on the phone? No, it might have been the night before watching the closing ceremony from home. Like what was that moment like? Because you got to walk in the Rio one, didn't you? Um, I wasn't actually at the closing ceremony for the Rio Olympics. Oh, it would have been the um, home games. 
yeah at the com games i was there for the closing ceremony and that was honestly like that was so much fun yeah so it was it was such a weird feeling like I was sitting in my hotel room. I think I was on day two of hotel quarantine. Yeah, had the closing ceremony on the TV, was wearing a face mask, was just sitting there eating popcorn. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even know like what to say. It was, yeah, it, w- it was hard watching it mm. um, and just seeing so many of the Aussie athletes having so much fun there. But yeah, it is what it is. And I guess, you know, that's that was part of the the rules and we knew that we had to leave within 48 hours of competing it was yeah obviously very lucky for those athletes that were still there for it but hopefully different for Paris (laughs) yeah yeah surely three years time we won't be uh, we won't be uh, having the same restrictions and and that on us yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so other than the amazing coffee in the Australian building, what was your favourite part of this Games? My favourite part would have probably just been being out there competing. And for me, you know, my dad's my coach. And I think just being able to share the whole experience with him and, you know, in the final, jumping that 683 and just being able to experience that excitement with my dad in the crowd, you know, he sacrificed so much to be here with me or to have been in Tokyo. You know, he's taken, I think, almost seven weeks off work just to be able to travel with me and see my, you know, dreams become a reality. So I'm, yeah, so appreciative of everything that he's done for me. So, yeah, just seeing his face light up when I jump 683 and yeah I think yeah just having him there was just so special and I think you know not being able to have the rest of my family and my friends in the crowd at least he was there so very um thankful for everything he's done for me and I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to share many more experiences and exciting times with him down the track yeah oh that's really beautiful Brookie and I'm sure maybe Russ will have a tear in his eye when he hears this <laughs> hopefully he listens to it <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure he does. <laughs> so that was your favorite part what was the hardest part obviously not having friends and family in the crowd I, I found that extremely difficult because that's something that really makes those sort of experiences what they are and after having a, a good result, being able to celebrate with all, you know, your closest friends and family is is what, like, you know, these moments are about. And, yeah, I just, yeah, it was hard competing and being so excited, wanting to celebrate, but not really being able to do that. And then also knowing that once I fly out of Tokyo, I'm going to sit in a hotel room by myself for two weeks, isolated from the rest of the world. Like it's, yeah, I think that was a really difficult thing to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess just like when I was over in Tokyo, just the uncertainties around, you know, whether anyone was going to test positive to COVID and how that could affect the games, um, you know, when we were sent in to lockdown essentially for a few hours. I think that was probably one of the most difficult moments being sent to our rooms and not 
knowing exactly what was going on, um, it was pretty stressful. So I'd probably say that was one of the worst experiences of the of my time in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been so like you say stressful, I would have been terrified. I would have been, yes, yeah. stressed about my competition, but like terrified that, you know, someone that you know, someone on the team, even yourself could have been exposed. Yeah. To potentially getting COVID. And yeah, it yeah, it would have been very terrifying. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, when we were traveling out to the track or traveling to training, we were sitting on a bus like next to random people, like the buses were jam packed literally every time I hopped on them. So you just like, you just never knew who you were coming in contact with. And once we received that message, I literally just thought of the worst thoughts. And I was like, yep, I must have COVID. Like we've all got it now. (laughs) We're all going to, not going to be able to compete. Um, but yeah, like it worked out fine in the end. It's just hard when you get sent a text message saying to go to your rooms, wear your mask, don't come out and you just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that would have been really hard. And um, on a room topic, the, the unusual thing with Tokyo was the cardboard bed. So what was that like? <laughs> yeah, I've been getting a lot of questions about the cardboard beds. Um, yeah, it was obviously like quite random to have been told that we were going to be sleeping on beds made out of cardboard to be honest like I didn't really think anything of it when I was there sleeping on the bed um didn't have any issues with it it didn't fall apart on me (laughs) during the middle of the night (laughs) they were very sturdy but yeah like the bed was quite firm it wasn't super comfortable but I guess it did the job like I I think I slept pretty well whilst I was there but yeah very, um, very interesting way to put a bed together, though. <laughs> yeah, they looked pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my second last question is, like, what's next? Other, when you get out of hotel quarantine, what, what are you excited for in the next 12 months? Um, so when I get out of hotel quarantine, I think the priority for me is try to get my knee right. I've had almost two weeks off since I competed and my knee still doesn't feel completely normal. So um, I think that's going to be the first thing I do when I get out, just try and figure out what I can do really to to get it right because next year is going to be such a big year competition-wise. We've got the Commonwealth Games and the World Championships, um, which are all, I think, a week and a half um, within each other. So oh. one's in... <laughs> One's in the US and the other one's in Europe. So it's going to be a pretty big, pretty big um, few weeks. So yeah, just making sure that, yeah, I can, I guess, get the body right leading into next season, put some solid training in. And I'm supposed to be also getting married in just under five weeks. And I'm a little bit stressed about that because, yeah, currently, Melbourne's in a lockdown and um, yeah, not really sure how that's going to pan out, but just trying to think positive thoughts and it will be what it will be. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll just wait and see, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a big next, I guess, 12 months. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be a very exciting time and whether you're married in five weeks or you're married a little bit later like it's going to be an epic day and 
um, you know, what matters is the fact that you get to do what you love with the person you love. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And nothing really changes between now and whenever the wedding day is anyway. So it will be what it will be. <laughs> yes. And one of the other questions that kind of came up is, what's the cost like to be an elite athlete? Like I know that some athletes get funding, some don't. Like how does that work? Yeah, it's um, that's a great question. So for me, I'm actually part of the Athletics Australia. It's called the NAS program. Mm-hmm. So that stands for National Athlete Support Scheme. Um, so they have different tiers and different levels of funding. And so obviously through... Athletics Australia, um, I get some financial support there, which I guess if you compare it to some other sports, it probably seems like nothing, but you know, it, yeah, it, it is enough to get by, which is great. I also receive some support through the Victorian Institute of Sports. So um, a lot of my medical expenses are covered. Um, so massage, physio, any sort of form of scan or MRI, cortisone injections, I've had a lot of them this year. <laughs> so that's all completely covered. So there's no real sort of out-of-pocket expenses there, which is great. Travel is pretty much completely paid for. So all the little interstate trips I do during the Australian domestic season are covered so that includes flights and accommodation and meals as well and then most overseas travel is paid for as well so the trip to Tokyo was completely covered so obviously very grateful for the AOC and Athletics Australia and the team camp prior to Tokyo was all fully paid for and covered as well. So yeah, there's not a heap of expenses, but in terms of how we make money as athletes, uh, a lot of money is made overseas competing in Diamond League events and World Challenge events. Some major championships have prize money. So yeah, so it's really just about traveling, competing in these high level meets. I currently don't have a shoe slash apparel sponsorship so I was on one a few years ago with Nike so that included a base payment and then they also have um, bonuses in the contract as well so if you place it say Diamond League meets World Challenge meets major championships you can get little bonuses added on to I guess whatever prize money you make as well so there's a heap of opportunity to make money in in athletics but I guess you've just got to sort of chase those opportunities which is what I haven't really been able to do over the last couple of years last year it was far too risky to travel and compete with COVID around and even this year I didn't want to take that risk as well because you know I I wanted to get to the Olympic Games and the last thing I would have liked was to have tested positive whilst I was overseas and missed the Olympics or had to quarantine for two weeks so like not saying anyone that did travel over there did contract COVID everyone I guess was pretty safe but um, yeah I just personally didn't want to take that risk and just listen to the advice from everyone at Athletics Australia as well um, and thought the best option was just staying in Australia so hopefully from next year I'll be able to do a little bit more travel and maybe make a little bit more money yeah yeah definitely and uh I I said to you the other night I was like well Brookie I can sponsor you with a Beyond Sport mug (laughs) that 
that beats any sort of financial support anyway, Fee. <laughs> but, but but Brookie is open to other options. <laughs> Do I get a pen as well? Yeah, I think you already have a pen, but oh, you can I have another pen. Oh, thank you. That's very <laughs> <generous> <laughs> you. <laughs> well, Brookie, thank you so, so much for coming on and giving us an Olympic debrief. I know this is your second time on the podcast, which is, you know, you've now made it on twice, which is the first time. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for coming on. That's all right, Fee. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.